0: I often work around these concepts of body kindness and body respect. And so, you know, you can't hate yourself into a body that you love.
1: Welcome to the Start Anywhere podcast you're in the right place if you want to hear inspiring stories and get fired up to live life to the fullest. I'm Crystal Garrett, broadcaster turned podcaster, former national team runner and serial goal getter. Every week you'll hear fascinating stories from people all over the world. Every single person you'll meet once started anywhere and eventually made their dreams come true. The aim of this podcast is to entertain you, but hopefully inspire you. Whether you're after a small goal or a big dream, the best place to start is wherever you are right now. So let's go. Let's do this. Let's start anywhere. Put your hand up if you've ever thought you needed to lose weight. Put your hand up if you are trying to lose weight now. Weight loss and body transformation are probably the most common goals out there, and nobody knows that topic better than my guest today, Dr. Jen Huber, who is a nutritionist who specializes in undieting.
0: Would we take out someone's appendix if it grew back two years later? Would we use a medication that was going to fail 90% of the time? Mm -hmm. We always want to be using treatments that are effective and safe, and dieting no longer meets that criteria when
1: when it's for pursuing weight loss you may not need to lose as much weight as you think you do. Dr. Jen has all kinds of surprising information about weight loss, diet, and body shape. Plus, she proves that midlife is a great time of life. The Start Anywhere podcast aims to prove that it's never too early or never too late to go after your goals and dreams. Now, Jen is in her 40s, and she's a real champion for midlife, and she has a rapidly growing community of people all around the world who agree with her. I think midlife gets a bad rap in pop culture, like all those over the hill birthday things like it's it's just it's not a bad time of life I'm in it and I love it and there are millions of people who are out there crushing midlife and they love it too It's really the perfect time to make a change in your life. And Jen actually proves that by taking a risk herself. She sold her bricks and mortar business and moved to the Netherlands just before the pandemic. And she started anywhere, built a global community of women who are now owning midlife and feeling better than ever from the inside out. So you don't have to be a woman to get a lot out of this conversation with Dr. Jen Huber. And you can be at any age or stage of life because she has quite a story to tell about taking a DNA test which revealed that she had a whole family that she never met. And before we begin this conversation, I want to give some context about Jen. I met her a few years back because her business was in my neighborhood in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and her daughter was actually in my Girl Guide troop. But I re-found her online when one of her Instagram Reels showed up in my feed, and I thought, this lady is crushing it. So I reached out, and I'm glad I did. And I think you're going to be glad, too, when you hear a conversation about weight loss, dieting, and self-acceptance. I want to talk about um, that time you ordered the bathing suit from the Sears catalog, because I think many people listening remember the Sears catalog, and and I remember ordering stuff from that, and and it was a happy day usually when we got the package, or your mom went to the store and picked it up at that place. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I grew up in
0: a small town in northern New Brunswick, and uh, the Sears catalog was by far the most popular place to order anything from. And you know, you would place the order on the phone, you'd pick out what you wanted, place the order, wait to get the call that it was in and you'd go pick it up and bring it home and try it on. And yeah, it was always a really exciting day. And uh, if anybody remembers the kind of late 80s color neon blocking trend, that particular summer, the summer that I was 11 and turning 12 or 12, can't remember exactly, but around that age, the neon color-blocked bathing suits were really popular. And I had ordered one, you know, probably in the size that I had been wearing or expected to wear. But of course, around that age, I was, I was, you know, in puberty and I was becoming softer and rounder and my body was changing and we weren't having conversations about normalizing that change. And I put it on and it didn't fit. It didn't fit the way I expected it to. Mm-hmm. It didn't fit the way I wanted it to. And I really have a really vivid memory of standing in my bedroom looking at the mirror looking at this bathing suit and thinking I've done something wrong what did I do I have to fix this and that really you know stuck with me and you know as an adult um, you know as I continued to kind of struggle with body image and um, you know kind of trying to find that happy place of you know feeling healthy and good in my body but also feeling like my body was good I, you know, found my way to becoming a dietitian and a naturopathic doctor thinking that I could learn everything I needed to know about food, nutrition, health, and weight. And so while I had an interest in it, and I still do, and, you know, for all kinds of different reasons now, um, I think my initial interest was really spurred by wanting to try and fix myself because I felt like I was broken.
1: Yeah, I know your relationship with food and weight is very different now but let's dwell yeah. on that for a second because i can remember wrote that same era i was um probably wearing a Sears catalog bathing suit as my <laughs> actually like i was my sister and i had matching ones because uh yeah we're not twins but we would always get things that were matching but hers was always in a much nicer color than mine so mine was black and hers was this beautiful blue but I remember us looking in the mirror and sucking our stomachs in and comparing who could look skinnier you know that kind of thing and we were probably about that age and that was not uncommon like that, I, and it's not just I know we're revealing our age by talking about the Sears catalog which is a Canadian <laughs> mail order it doesn't even exist anymore but um, there are lots of people I just recently chatted with a friend who's in her 20s and she was saying when she was young her mom supported her because her mom wanted to, to would rather know what was going on in her daughter's life than not. And she wrapped her up in saran wrap around the middle so that she could try to lose some stomach fat. She probably was an early teenager when that happened too. So it's still happening.
0: Absolutely. And I think that a lot of us in this age group, you know, kind of in our um, midlife prime, really had, were, we were heavily influenced by diet culture in ways that we didn't recognize at the time. So another example from the Sears catalog, well, probably not just the Sears catalog, but clothing for kids coming in size 6X. You know, I remember wearing the 6X size. And so from the time I was six, I knew that I was above average, you know. And, you know, it's like, why wouldn't we just put it, why wouldn't we make it a size seven? You know, why did it have to go six to eight? And if you had someone who didn't fit in the six, had to be the 6X. You know, so there was all those kind of like little micro influences on what a body should look like and what you should do if it didn't look the way that you expected it to
1: yeah oh gosh yeah and so the, it i'm telling you if I had a nickel for every minute i've spent worrying about um m- a little bit of stomach fat or or not looking good i mean even in, in my entire life like i think so many people listening whether man woman child they can all relate to that feeling of not being happy with what you look like in the mirror as opposed to your body
0: and you know that concept of body image so you know our body image by the time that i think we're into puberty and adolescence really defines and determines the majority of our self-image. So as kids, you know, toddlers prerogative, they wear whatever they want. And really up until, you know, that pre-puberty stage, kids don't care if their hair's a mess, if their shirt is stained, if they're wearing unmatched socks. Like their body image and what people think of them has very little to do with their self-image. But as we get into adolescence and adulthood, it becomes like it drives the bus right Mm. and so if we don't like what we see if we don't feel like our body meets the expectations then you know it really our our self-image takes a hit so one of the concepts that I talk about all the time and try and kind of introduce to people because it is often new is this concept of body neutrality Mm. that we don't want to be all working towards having like beautiful, shiny body images and having fabulous body image days all the time, just like we wouldn't tell someone who is depressed that the goal is to be happy 100% of the time. Mm. What we want to focus on is expanding what makes up our self-image so that when we have a bad body day or we don't like what we see in the mirror or something doesn't fit the way we want it to, we can just put on a different piece of clothing or throw on a hat and go about our day. So, you know, kind of really trying to take us out of that really
1: body-centric self-image. I love that. Let's get into that in a second. I just want to talk a little bit to just so if so people are listening right now there are a lot of people right now who probably do have weight loss or changes to their body as a goal and we're going to throw a lot of that on on its ear because I know that you look at things in a different way than most of us do but I I just had to laugh because when you were saying that it it just reminded me of, of a memory that when I was pregnant with um, one of my three kids the doctor said you know if we do have to do a c-section don't worry, there'll be just a tiny scar and and you can wear a bikini, you know, after the after the C-section. And I thought, "Wow, that's amazing because I've never been able to wear a bikini in my life." <laughs> So yeah. yeah, but I mean that there's no reason why a person can't wear a bikini, You like wear the ding-dang bikini and I think that's just a matter of the only things holding you back from wearing the bikini or, or, or whatever is between your two ears. So I guess that's what you do, but, but for somebody listening right now, like how couldn't you shift into more of a body neutral stance as opposed to a judgmental stance with yourself?
0: Yeah, and I mean
1: it's definitely not a light switch, so it's not like you can just you know decide to get there although
0: mindset is a huge piece of it there's no question about it but I, I often work around these concepts of body kindness and body respect and so you know you can't hate yourself into a body that you love and shame and guilt are terrible motivators and so if your entire relationship around food and your body and movement have been based on trying to diet and exercise your way into someone else's body, trying to hate yourself into a body that you love or to punish yourself, we need to get you out of that. And that's kind of that first step into body kindness. How can I be kind to my body today? How can I feed it in a way that is nourishing? How can I move it in a way that feels good in my body? And really trying to take the focus off, you know, how do those things affect how I feel about my body? Because how you feel about your body is going to be influenced by you know outside factors that maybe aren't you know within your control but you are always in control of how you feel in your body today so that body kindness framework is you know kind of I think a safe place for people to just explore what we would call like a weight neutral approach to health so you know being kind and then showing your body respect by respecting that you are an individual and genetics make up 70% of our body size and shape. So if you've been putting 100% of your effort into trying to change your body with food and movement, that, you know, when in fact it's probably only influencing 30% of what you look like on the outside and the inside, that's not being respectful to your body today. So completely, I know kind of like mind blowing concepts for people who have never heard that before, mm. but it is so important to recognize that this isn't just you know, a checklist of things that you do. It really is approaching everything from a completely different perspective um, that might feel really unfamiliar at first.
1: Yeah. And okay, this brings up a great point because you actually have proof that we're made up genetically, that, that how we're made is how we're made. Can you tell us a story about, um, about meeting the person who told you that?
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's, you know, this is gonna be a short, short version <laughs> yeah. of
1: a much, much bigger story.
0: But um, in 2018, I found out through a DNA test that my uh, that my dad that, I, that had raised me, who's still very much my dad, was not my biological father, that my parents had used a sperm donor in the late 70s to conceive me. And as a result of that, I was introduced to, um, you know, kind of a dozen people that now make up my kind of bonus family, including several half-siblings, and one of those is my sister, who is really a, a physical carbon copy of me in almost every way. So we are the same height. We wear the same clothing. Um, you know, the only difference is our shoe size, which is about half a size apart. Um, you know, our kids would, you know, would get us mixed up if wow. we if we had our backs turned to them. Because from behind, it's almost impossible to know who's is, who is who because we even have the same haircut. And, but we grew up in completely different environments and she grew up never having dieted. I don't know how, but she escaped our culture <laughs> and she's never been on a diet um, where I started dieting at 12 mm-hmm. and, you know, had been on countless diets, uh, you know, over those kind of 25 or 30 years, but meeting her and seeing that we have almost identical bodies really reinforced to me that so much of what I was trying to control had been predetermined by my DNA. And, you know, it was freeing, for one, but it also just kind of made me realize how that message never gets out to people, you know, people, that's another statistic that they're often just so surprised by. But yet, when they look back on their family, they can see, oh, yeah, okay, that actually is something that shows up in my family, genetically, that is going to be there regardless.
1: That's amazing you're really blowing people's minds here the body neutrality idea the idea that we are mostly genetics and there's not a whole high heck of a lot we can do to change that that's mind-blowing let's blow people's minds again and tell them a little bit about why you don't have to worry about your weight as much as you are
0: oh yeah and you know and I always like to kind of preface this by saying that I am not dismissing the very real desire that people have to lose weight because that desire often runs deep and has been there for a very long time. I'm not dismissing it as, um, you know, being something that you shouldn't want, but I always like to challenge the reasons why people pursue it. If it's, if they're pursuing it as a proxy for health. So if you ask anyone, what do you need to be healthy? Probably in the top, one, two thoughts are going to be maintain a healthy weight. You know, <clears throat> kids are taught that in health class. You know, everybody has looked up their weight on a BMI chart or, you know, on, an, on another chart to kind of see where they land. But we actually know that weight is not a great proxy for health, that people can be healthy, um, you know, in a, in a variety of body sizes and shapes. And so BMI, you know, has taken a lot of flack in the last five or ten years as you know, not being used appropriately. It's not it was never meant to kind of provide individual health assessments. It was always meant to be, you know, a population-based research metric. It was never meant to be a, you are healthy because you fall into this range. But that's how it's been used and that's how people interpret it. When in fact when we look at the data with BMI, even people who are one in two categories above the quote unquote ideal actually have very similar, um, you know, rates of illness and and even death. And if you look at, you know, certain things for certain outcomes for women in midlife and postmenopause. So let's talk about osteoporosis, for example. If you are in the lower end of that, you know, even the healthy BMI range, you have a higher risk of fracture than women who actually gain weight in menopause. So, you know, we have really good data that women who actually gain weight in menopause have reduced bone loss and reduced fracture risk when they're older. So the conversation around is weight gain always quote-unquote bad for us and do we always need to be pursuing weight loss for health isn't based on evidence. And so kind of looking at how can we approach a weight-neutral approach to health that focuses on the behaviors you can control. Movement matters. You know that. I know Mm -hmm. that. You know, moving your body in ways that you enjoy most days, awesome. Cooking more often with food that works for your family, fantastic being able to have you know prioritizing sleep prioritizing stress reduction and prioritizing all of those other kind of determinants of health instead of just trying to make the scale move is going to actually benefit your health instead of just giving it maybe the appearance of health because you've now made it into a certain health range
1: Did you know, Season 2 of the Start Anywhere podcast is already in the works. If you have an inspiring story or you know someone who does, get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. I'm looking for stories from people who once started anywhere, then made a dream come true at different ages and stages of life. Maybe that's you, or maybe it's someone who inspires you. Either way, I want to know about it. And I'd love for you to join the Start Anywhere community. Sign up for the newsletter to keep tabs on what's happening behind the scenes. You can get my contact information in the show notes or go to my website, crystaljoygarrett.com. Now back to the episode. Diets don't work. You know, we have really good data that 90
0: to 95% of the time when people pursue intentional weight loss, meaning that the only thing that they're doing is trying to get the scale to move um, which is different than your body changes as a result of adopting these health behaviors that work for you. Those are two totally different things, because intuitive eating is not anti-weight loss, but it doesn't you know support the pursuit of intentional weight loss. But you know I think the thing that we don't hear often enough is that when you pursue intentional weight loss, ninety to ninety five percent of the time at two and five years, most people have regained the weight and often more. So I frame it as a question: Would we take out someone's appendix if it grew back two years later? Would we use a medication that was going to fail 90% of the time? Mm-hmm. We always want to be using treatments that are effective and safe. And dieting no longer meets that criteria
1: when it's pursuit when it's for pursuing weight loss. I, I really love that that um, that subtle distinction between weight loss that maybe happens as a result of healthy behaviors that are doing other beneficial things for you as opposed to just weight loss being the end goal. And that's where we start to do things that maybe are even abusive to our bodies. And I, I think many of us listening have done things we're not proud of in just just to see the scale move in, in, in the yeah. direction yeah, that we want to go. Um, and I think also you mentioned that BMI, you mentioned this to me, that BMI can sometimes be a, a false sense of... Um, Security for people that just because you may be on the thinner side does not necessarily mean that your body is healthy Exactly
0: And you know a lot of times even health practitioners misuse bmi and I I use one example that actually shows up a lot in my practice That if someone let's say for example is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes And they're in a larger body the advice that they're going to be given is diet and lifestyle whereas if someone is in the normal bmi range and is given a diagnosis of diabetes, is more likely to be offered medication or other interventions because it is assumed that they don't need to work on diet and lifestyle. And in both of those cases, those people aren't being served. Mm-hmm. They are not being given an individual appropriate treatment plan that addresses their health. So, you know, when we, when we move away from trying to just pigeonhole people into little boxes, We really start to see that health is so much more than it could, than, you know, than a number on the scale. It could never be reduced to just, you know, height and weight. Like why was it ever thought that we could really make grand assumptions about, you know, how healthy people were
1: simply based on those two factors, knowing how individual we all are? Yeah. And so but we all know that we feel differently when we eat well. And we all tend to feel better when we do eat well. And there are millions of things holding us back for doing that sometimes. Like, why do I go days at a time without eating fruits and vegetables, but I'm getting better because I feel better when I do that. And I feel fueled. Let's talk about a better approach to food than than just trying to think about restricting it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and so, you know, intuitive eating is really that framework of how can I develop or change or nurture a relationship with food that is based primarily on helping me feel good in my body. And so, you know, we talk about not using external cues like, you know, fitness trackers and food trackers and plans and programs to tell you what, when and how much to eat. Because those are what we call attunement disruptors. So because let's say, for example, you're given a plan and you're told, just eat these things. And if you do, you will lose weight and all will be right with the world. That plan isn't based on what your life looks like in the morning. What happens when your day goes sideways? What happens when you have a sick kid? What happens, what happens, what happens? And so it becomes really difficult to ever follow a plan to 100%. And it's also kind of telling you what to have instead of teaching you to know what you need. Mm. And so, you know, we call that attunement because learning to listen to what your body wants and needs is partially about asking yourself, Am I hungry? Am I full? Am I satisfied? But it's also about being able to reflect on, I feel really good after eating that. Why do I feel really good? Is it because I have lots of energy? Is it because my digestion really, you know, appreciates all those fruits and vegetables? Is it because I feel full for longer? And, you know, I think that that is lost on a lot of plans that are primarily focused on weight loss. Because again, the only metric they care about is the number on the scale. And so even if your plan teaches you to cook and teaches you to have all these great foods and also gives you the flexibility to go to a drive through when life is completely going crazy, if your only metric of success is the scale, it is never going to feel intuitive and you are always going to feel like you are either on a plan or off a plan. And that all or nothing thinking is what catches us every time mm. because we hold ourselves to this 100% standard and when we, and 99% will never be
1: enough. Yeah, oh, I, I that's resonating absolutely. So, I guess what you're saying right now for most people listening the whole idea of eating and 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 weight and just a relationship with it it's it's a very new way of looking at it. So, this is your job. This is your bread and butter like how can working with somebody like you um help us sort of get on track? because I, I I've never worked with a dietitian before to be honest. Well, and I
0: think that a lot of people uh, assume that a dietitian is only going to give you a diet. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is that, you know, a dietitian or nutritionist's job is to make you healthy, not to make you thin. And if we focus on making your relationship with food and movement and all of your health decisions about health, it actually like that's a great filter just to start, you know, um, oftentimes when people start moving away from that, weight loss goal and and moving to a health goal, they realize that some of the things they're doing, they don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the things they're doing don't work for their life and actually cause stress because they're trying to make them work. And it really, it frees up so much heart and headspace to do the things that you actually want to do. And so sometimes people will, you know, lots of people have probably heard the term intuitive eating or maybe mindful eating. And I think that that's a big buzzword, especially in the last couple of years,
1: Um, you
0: know, especially coming out of January. You know, people may have heard this kind of non-diet terminology, but a lot of, um, I think, hiccups happen in what I call the messy middle, which is how do you take yourself from Always or only knowing how to follow a plan, how to count calories, how to track your food, how to you know choose the movement that burns the most calories to what does my body want today. It is not, like I said, it's not like flipping a switch. Mm. It can become easy and it can become intuitive, but especially if you have a lot of history there, if you have a lot of kind of junk that is kind of gotten that you've carried or baggage that you've carried to this place it helps to have someone who can help you unpack it efficiently because otherwise it's like you just blow the suitcase wide open and then you have kind of clothes everywhere and you're not sure where to start. Um And so there's so much value in working with kind of a guide. I often mm-hmm. joke that I feel like a Sherpa sometimes just kind of helping <laughs> people to navigate their history and like, when did it start and how did it get reinforced and how did it make you feel and how do we unpack that? So yeah, it's it's a different journey for everyone, but uh, I always say it's not always easy, but it's always worth it.
1: Yeah, and truly, you just have to start anywhere. So uh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> a lot of us have started many, many times, again and again and again, and we we're not where we want to be. Like sometimes it's just great to to find somebody to exactly hold your hand, guide you through, hold the flashlight and light the way so that you can get where you want to go. And often, I found when I've worked with people hiring coaches in different aspects of my life, um, I get there faster. I get there faster.
0: Absolutely, And like imagine, just imagine what your life would look like if you could never have to start again. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you never had to have another like last Sunday night meal where you got all the food out of the house or you didn't have to, you know, promise to start a new diet on Monday or January or whatever it is. Like imagine how much life you'd get back if you never had to start again.
1: Yeah. Or if in a beautiful world, we, we do go on that trip to Mexico, and maybe we gain 10 pounds because we drank and ate a lot, although this, is, of course, never happened to me, but uh, it has, and I will hope it happens again. But so you're in that position. You have the tools you need to trust yourself. Okay, well, it's not the end of the world. I'm just going to slip back into my healthy habits, and um, I'll get where I need to be eventually. And, you know, in the meantime, I've got this little extra bit of pounds around my middle as a reminder of the wonderful time I had in Mexico.
0: Yeah, and and that just speaks to normalizing the fact that bodies change. Mm. We are never meant to be one size and shape for our entire life. And, you know, when I think back to my 12-year-old self, if it had been part of the conversations, to tell girls that your body fat percentage needs to double in order for you to go through puberty, boys and girls, but girls especially, who I think, you know, don't get that message, I probably would have had a very different reaction to seeing that changed body in a mirror. And, you know, if we normalize that, you know, bodies are meant to change and that we have this set range, most people have a range. It may not be where they want it to be, but most people can identify or can, um, you know, Feel that, oh, yeah, this is where my body's at when I'm not doing anything and it's not where I, quote, want to be. But you don't have to work to be there. And that's kind of your your happy place of you're moving your body, you're eating in ways that help you to feel full and satisfied, but you're not counting everything. You're not measuring everything. You're not trying to get to this number. And that's what happens after a vacation. You know, the pendulum swings one way when we're in, you know, an environment maybe with new foods and, you know, different routines and things like that. But then when we get back to normal life, like things kind of settle into a pattern. The problem happens is that when we jump into a control and restriction after something like a vacation that restriction creates craving control creates the craving Mm. and so as soon as you start restricting and trying to control your body and brain rebels against it and it creates craving and urgency around having all the things that you've just told yourself you can't have
1: yeah no i think we are absolutely right i wanted to ask you a little bit about where you are now because the things that you're talking about are resonating and they're certainly resonating with the people listening right now resonating rather but they're also resonating with people literally literally around the world because I'm so (laughs) proud of you I I knew you we met back in the day your your daughter was on my girl guide troop and we and and, you know and you talked to the girls about healthy eating back then and it was wonderful but I'm so proud of you because You're no longer in Dartmouth, at least not at the moment, and literally, you are creating a worldwide community that just gets bigger every day of people who are interested in what you're talking about, and you're celebrating midlife, which I just love. So tell people a little bit about where you are in geography and what you're doing right now.
0: So I am currently in The Hague in the Netherlands. We moved here um, at the end of 2019 for my husband's work, which was supposed to be a Um, A one and a half to kind of two year adventure, which COVID, of course, you know, changed everything. So we're here for a period of time longer. We're not quite sure how much longer. Dartmouth is always home and will definitely be where we return to. But when all that happened, um, I had been practicing in Dartmouth and my practice had been largely Um, working with women and families. But as I was in perimenopause and the women that I was working with were really in that age group primarily as well, I decided to really focus on midlife and uh, menopause and just helping women to understand what it is, what's happening. And, you know, kind of then to take that one step further into bringing in that discussion around weight and health and nutrition and just trying to help them get out of that diet cycle once and for all. Because you know, you and I have had this conversation and, you know, we all know women who have spent the better part of their adult life on or off a diet. And I always say there's no better time than midlife to give diet culture the boot.
1: Yeah. And embrace midlife. Yeah. Midlife is great. Anybody listening at any age and stage, it's never too late to go after your goals and it's never too early to go after your goals. Like it is, I'm loving this age and stage of life. Let's celebrate it. Absolutely. Have a podcast a very successful podcast that's very um it's growing all the time around the world called the midlife feast which i just yep. love that so so on brand <laughs> for what you're doing i'm sure the first you did not know you were going to change people's lives but you started anywhere and then you did so tell us just a little bit about how you you started on your journey and how it actually surprisingly uh to you i'm sure took off took off
0: yeah and and it really did and, and i think that the last year has been one of the um One of the most fulfilling in every possible way um, experiences, which I feel so grateful for because I know that, you know, two years into a pandemic, many people have not felt that way and uh, many lives have changed for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, having, I think, the opportunity to really kind of hyper focus on, you know, creating community in a virtual world was an experience that I don't know that I would have had had it not been the pandemic, because I probably would have been, you know, less tied to this digital world. So um, the the podcast really came from just hearing conversations repeated, either um, with women that I know, with women that I work with, or just, you know, around me, around some of those pieces that weren't, as I say, being brought to the table of midlife. So talking about the things that we're not talking about. So not just about hot flashes, but, you know, talking about things like, the pleasure deficit of midlife and how, you know, people, men and women in their 40s statistically um, tend to report being the least happy and how what's the intersection of that and menopause and how can we nurture that or talking about a changing relationship with food or I, I just wanted to have those conversations and it really has been, um, it has been such a joy doing this podcast that uh, I can't imagine not doing it now. I, I look forward to every single conversation. and the feedback I get has just been amazing you know waking up to a message from someone in South Africa saying I just binged your podcast and sat in my car crying when you were talking about this one thing like it takes your breath away that you can connect with someone virtually um, not even on an image but that you can connect with them in a way that really speaks to them I mean that's that, that's a gift, not a meaning my gift. It's, just, it's a gift to me to experience
1: that. Yeah. And your reels, but, which again, a lot of people are scared to show up on social media, but you did your reels and they started to go viral. So then people, you know, oh. your community grew so quickly, which just goes to show that when you follow your passion, um, people will find you. Yeah. And that's the benefit of midlife confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Is that when you,
0: when you care a lot less in your 40s about what people think, you know, it, it's less scary to kind of put yourself out there. My husband can't even watch them. He's not on Instagram, but when I show him one, he, like, cringes. He's like, I don't even know how you do that.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, people people just don't get it. You know who cringes when I do the stuff? My kids. They are like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. wow. <laughs>
0: I get schooled in Instagram all the time from my teens.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm grateful. I my Instagram story game really up leveled when my uh, when my 12 year old daughter gave me some tips and tricks for sure. Um, and I think that's that's just what you're talking about right now, Jen. I really appreciate you coming on because I just love how you, you followed your passions from the beginning and it led you to this place now where you're changing lives because you kind of faced your fears and put yourself out there. So if somebody's listening right now, whether they're in midlife or they're at any stage in life, um, what would your advice be to them about just if they've got kind of like a little goal on their heart, what, what should they do? Like, What's your advice to them about getting started? I think that recognizing
0: that where you want to be is a feeling, it's not a number, it's not a look, it's not an objective destination, it's an intangible but yet very specific feeling of feeling good in your body. So anything that you do, just ask yourself, is this helping me to feel good in my body today? Is it being kind? Is it being respectful? And if the answer is no, then it's really clear that that is not the path you need to take. But there are so many ways to say yes to that answer that still feels like you're doing something that still feels like you're moving forward. So you know, I think that that's a I think that that's an easier place for people to start sometimes than you know starting to unpack that big suitcase of of um, baggage.
1: Yeah, and I love that you how you brought that actually to a nutritional space because that is I find sometimes when I've got when i've got my movement going, my running, that's sort of the, the spine that holds everything together and then food plays into that and when i kind of have a healthy system going with that, i do feel like the other pieces of my life fall into place. Is that is that a reasonable thing to to assume?
0: Yeah, of course, because you know, those things often go together, right? You know, you know habit stacking, right? You know like one thing leads to another and if they both work together, then you're more likely to do them. But i think the 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 part that really that we get stuck on is being focused on the outcome instead of paying attention to the process. So if you're in the process of changing any part of your relationship with food, whether, you know, even for people who have, you know, kind of ethical goals of food, so you want to become a vegetarian or eat less meat, if your only goal is can I not eat meat 100% of the time? that's going to be really hard to stay focused on versus if I eat less meat this week, how do I feel? If I eat, if I only eat certain types of meat, how do I feel? And so again, it's that process of trying something on having the tools to be attuned to how it's working for you or not working for you and having that permission mindset to change it. If it's not working,
1: Jen, thank you so much for this. This was such a fun conversation. I really enjoyed hearing about um, you going after your goals and dreams. And thank you for being honest about your story with the Sears catalog bathing suit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I love start anywhere
0: conversations because I really think that that's the biggest, you know, mental hurdle that we have to
1: overcome if we have a goal of any kind. The best place to find Dr. Jen Huber is on Instagram, and she also hosts her own podcast called The Midlife Feast. All of her contact information is in the show notes. Now, next on the Start Anywhere podcast, what's in a name? How a woman changed her name and changed her life. In fact, just days after the name change, she found her soulmate out of the blue. Next thing you know, Andy has the entire campground,
0: all the people in caravans, all the people in tents, and there's like you know 80 people gathered around for the fire show, and and uh, someone is on a didgeridoo, someone's on drums, and I start spinning the fire the fire staff, and uh, and we have a great show, and uh, and then after Andy says, oh come come and meet Ryan, this is who you were doing the show for, so I hop into the van where Ryan is sitting. And as I sat down, my my hand touched his knee, and it was
1: immediate electricity, like fireworks. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Lovna Harvey is still with that guy, and together they built a business called Gathering Place Trading Company. They import fair trade organic tea and spices from all over the world and distribute them in North America. Now, the business is highly successful, and Lovna shares the whole story of how she changed her name and got into that business completely by accident. And she offers her best advice for taking risks, managing stress, and living the life of one's dreams. Thanks for listening to the Start Anywhere podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, consider giving it a five-star review before you go. This makes a huge difference in helping people find the podcast more easily. And we're trying to start a movement of positivity here. Before we go, I want to give special thanks to Mike Boyd, who produces this show in the podcast Atlantic Studios in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks again for listening. And until we meet again, remember, whether you're folding a pile of laundry or chasing a big dream, the best thing you can do is start anywhere.